0: Alright, uh, we are coming to the end of our series on making disciples, really looking at discipleship and the content of that. Uh, our little disciple center chart here that I have, remember we began with the root, the ultimate foundation of grace, then the triplets, what I call the triplets of the faith, faith, hope, and love, that, that is the foundation, that deep foundation for our confession of faith, which is lordship. That lordship then causes us to struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil as we try to obey God's commandments of holiness, righteousness, and unity. The, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. Then we looked at the spiritual disciplines, the basic ones of Bible study and prayer and fasting, how that develops our worldview. And then we moved finally into the stewardships. We looked last time at time. Today we're going to look at resources and gifting. Next week we'll look at relationships and the fruit of the spirit. And this series will be completed and then we'll move into uh, our discussions about uh, the future and also the Havara uh, ideas uh, that we're, we've been talking about As we look at the forming of Havarot both within the congregation and beyond the congregation. Uh, Each of these disciplines and stewardships you could do an entire series on and I've talked about them. I grouped these two today because we've talked about them in the past quite a bit. But I want to reinforce some things. And so I'd like you to turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 12 familiar passage of Scripture. We're going to look at the first 18 verses uh, and then move on from there. It's important to understand that a lot of these themes, a lot of these ideas that we talk about are woven through the Scriptures. You don't have a chapter on faith and a chapter on hope and a book on marriage. And God weaves these things through His text So that we understand that they're all interrelated. Just like the body is interrelated. Just like the the community of faith is interrelated. This is all holistic and needs to be seen that way. We separate it sometimes to examine it. But that's not how it operates. So all of these stewardships operate together. So when we get to uh, chapter 12 of Romans verses 1 to 18. Paul says... Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Notice he begins with the body, then the mind. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. I just want to make a brief comment. It would... There's, the danger here is to do a whole sermon just on this text. One of the things that is a problem from the time of the Jesus movement forward is the idea that I've got to get my mind right and then my body will follow. That doesn't work. We have to get our body presented, we have to commit ourselves to this process, and then the mind becomes transformed. There's a danger sometimes with parents who say, I want my kids to know why they're doing things, so I'm not going to make them do anything until they understand. That's not the biblical way. The biblical way is behavior, then understanding. You will do the word, and then you will understand the word. Not you will understand the word and then do it. It doesn't work that way. People understand the word, and then they debate it. They don't get around to doing it. So... Just a little side note, that's not in my notes, I just brought that up. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So he's saying that we are to have that mindset of humility, uh, not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We are... We are to operate at the level of our measure of faith, that level of our faith maturity. Uh, Then he says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Keep that in mind. It's very important for Christians to quit acting like we're all connected to Jesus, and therefore connected to each other. We're connected to each other and therefore connected to Jesus in in some sense. This individualism, this hyper individualism about me and God or me and Jesus ignores the community of faith which has been the basis of God's people from Sinai to the present. So he says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each is to exercise them accordingly. In prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving, teaching in his teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The idea is we are to take our various gifts, our different giftings, and we are to use them at the level of our faith maturity so that it benefits the body In that sense. Not thinking, oh, I'm well beyond that. And therefore, I'm going to exercise my gift. Because then we fragment the body and we we do damage to it. So then he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another, not arrogant or haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly, and do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not pay back evil for evil, respect what is right in the sight of men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, in these words, we see all the stewardships. The stewardship of how we manage our time, which are the events of our life. We see the resources so that we're contributing and helping others. We see gifting so that we're ministering to one another. And we see it all in the context of relationships. And that's why all of these things are woven together in that context. So this is an important passage combining all the stewardships. But we are to be at peace with all people to the extent that it depends on us. We're to contribute to the needs of the saints. And we're to use our gifting in relationship to one another and all of these events in a way that is the proper management of our time. And remember, our time is not just the days of the week, but the season of life that we find ourselves in. So, with that in mind, I'd like you to take a look at 1 Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 7. It's just a brief thing, but I want to take a look at that. One of the things that's critical to all ministry, to all communal living, to all relationships, is a sense of belonging and a sense of humility. A person who thinks they don't belong will not be able to participate. And a person who thinks that everybody needs them is not going to participate. They become the master of the room. And so I want you to look at this passage really carefully. Verse uh, 7 of chapter 4. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it. This passage is pretty clear that everything that we have is a gift from God. None of us are the creators of our own life. We're not the creators of our own success. I know this culture believes that we are, but that's nonsense. you got people that work just as hard as those who succeed who don't succeed. We have to be really careful of getting the secular mindset in these things. All that we have, all opportunities, all our resources, all our time, anything that we have in relationships are a gift of God. We, ha- we receive those. So to act as if we in some sense deserve them or in some sense we're superior because we have them violates that humility that we're supposed to have. It requires a humility towards God in gratitude and towards each other because if God makes us differ, we cannot boast except in the Lord. Now that's important when it comes to resources. So resources uh, are the, um, in the same way that we have different seasons of time and we have to redeem it and use it wisely, we're also to be wise stewards of our resources. I've said this often, I'll say it again, it's not a Bible verse, but if If I were writing a text, it would be in there. God gives to us unevenly and he expects that we will distribute it to the benefit of the common good. And this is really understood, I think, in a biblical... That's why it's not written exactly that way, but it's in the scriptures. In the giving of the manna. And this is the basis for our tithing and our tzedakah... Benevolence and our participation in missions uh, kinds of offerings. So, I want you to come with me to Exodus chapter 16. This is a passage that I think reveals so much about God's gifting and provision to the community, not to the individual, to the community. In chapter 16 of Exodus, verse 14, it says, When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, Mana. That's what they said. Manah. What is it? Right? They did not know what it was, and Moses said, It is bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat, and you shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some a little. But when they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. You catch that? Some are gathering more and some are gathering less. But when it's all measured out, it evens out to the needs of each person. Moses said, let no one leave it until morning. Don't hoard this up. But they did not listen to Moses and some left part of it until morning and it bred worms and became fowl. That doesn't mean it became chicken. It means it Came bad, right? And Moses was angry with them. They gathered it in the morning, every man as much as he should eat, but when the sun grew hot it would melt. Give us this day our daily bread. Now on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each person. And all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, Hey, we got we got extra here. And Moses said, This is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is the Sabbath observant, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. And they put aside until morning, as Moses ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. See the difference? When we're hoarding it because we're taking care of ourselves; it goes away. When we're Following the obedience of the Lord, he provides for even those times when we are obeying his command like the Sabbath. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. And it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather. These are Californians. Okay? But they found nothing, right? So we're, hey, we're going to get a little extra. We'll go out there when no one's going, right? Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. He gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Re- remain everyone in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So they rested on the seventh day. And it says that it named it manna. Manna, what is it? And it uh, was like coriander seed white, and its taste was like wafers with honey. So, this is really an important notion. Uh, he said, now keep a, uh, an omer of it by the testimony. It is a reminder that God provides. And it's carried over in the Lord's Prayer, when he says, give us this day our daily bread. Don't worry about what you eat. Every day has sufficient worries for itself. We live in a culture that thinks we're constantly preparing. And when we do that, we're always saying, I'm going to get this all worked out, then I can serve God. But that's not the way it's supposed to be done. So, this is also true of gifting. We have different gifts as the result of God creating us, what I would call natural talents, like singing or teaching or uh, being able to fix things, those kind of things, they are found in all human beings. So the creation gifts are found in everybody. You will find people who aren't believers. You will find people who can't, can't stand the idea of God who still have these gifts. They're able to sing. They're able to teach. They're able to do a lot of things, and and that can be used for the good of humanity. But we also have spiritual gifts, which manifest the residence or the presence of the Spirit of God within us. And then there are role gifts, and we've talked about these before, so I'm not going to all the verses. Like apostles and pastors who are given to the body for the purpose of benefiting the body, not the body benefiting them. A pastor's role is to equip the congregation, not... To fleece the congregation so that they have a successful life. Um, they're there to benefit the body in the same way that parents are not there to get whatever they can out of their kids, but they're there to make sure their kids can mature and grow up in that sense. Now, in that context, I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Took me a little longer to get there, right? So in verse eighteen to twenty-five, this is a passage we're very familiar with, and so we—I uh, uh, don't want to read the whole text, but one, the beginning of this text basically says, "You know, you used to be led by idols. However, you were led." It's a—it's a great line. Uh, Paul says, you "Used to stand in front of this stone." God, or this wooden God, or this statue of a God, and then you let the circumstances tell you what the God was telling you, and you kind of used the force and went with it. But that's not who we are. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, the Word of God given to us, that we can know what God wants us to do. We don't have to guess about it in that context. And so, uh, he says these words in verse 18. Now God has placed the members, that's us, each one of them in the body just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? If they were all the eye or they're all the foot, they're all, right? Uh, But now there are many members but one body. And the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the members which lack so that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care, one for another. Now this is where it comes into this issue of gifting. You're going to find out one of these days that a person that you think of no use in the body is going to have the very gift that you need. Somebody who's not thinking of themselves more highly than they are. Somebody with a humility of mind who simply has the answer, the ability, the gift, the word from God that you need. And it's quite a humbling thing when you realize... That you go around all the hot shots in the body, in the church. And they are just repeating what each other has written. And then all of a sudden, some dear saint who's been with the Lord for a long time. Speaks that word and reminds you of a biblical text. Or says something or does something. That you go, wow. I do have need of you. That's an important issue. The purpose of the body is and the gifting that we have, is for the edification of the whole body. And unless we can humble ourselves to be able to receive that from each other, we go without. And the Lord will let us go without if we won't humble ourselves in that sense. So the resources and the gifts that God has given us, He gives them unevenly so that we will minister to one another for the community of faith. That's why in some sense, when people don't participate in the community of faith not only do they lose access to us but we lose access to them you know imagine if your arms and legs decided they didn't want to come to church today okay and you had to leave them at home and find a way to get here right probably have an Uber person come and pick you up and bring you in and then we'd have to pick you up and set you here because without the whole body working, the whole body is suffering and that's Paul's point. We have a tendency to think that as long as we got the important people here, the people that are most presentable, the people that are most uh, 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 capable of doing things, we're, we're not hurting. But the reality is we need all of the members of the body to participate. Doesn't mean you can't be gone once in a while. It means that our pattern needs to be uh, connected to one another in that sense. So, I want to talk about resources and I want to talk about gifting, without running through verses, and then I will go back to an, another to our original text again. Resources are not to be hoarded. They're not to be squandered, they're to be managed. The commandments regarding giving and sharing are clear and we don't fully uh, know how to do that. Linda and I have been talking for several years now about stuff that we have. We've got it in storage, we've got it in the garage. Some of it we probably don't even know we have and we may have duplicates and we're trying to figure out how to go through this stuff. And we need to go through it with a mindset of, do we really need it? Second statement, does someone we know need it? Third, does somebody we don't know need it? Because it's doing us and them no good where it is, right? And that's something that I think we all need to do from time to time, Uh particularly as seasons of life change. Uh, So we talk about this in the the offerings that we give. The first fruits tithe is 10% of what God has provided. It's a testimony that he has provided. That's why he says, you will not appear before me empty. And it's used for worship and for participation in the community of faith. Now our practice at the Disciple Center is also to use it when we eat together after the service that comes out of our tithe because we want people to do that and if somebody doesn't have the money to eat, you pay for it and that's there and then the balance goes in to the uh, congregational uh, offering box in that sense. Zedekah or benevolence. The care of the poor widows and orphans is systematically taught in the scriptures and that second tithe every third year And the leaving of the corners of the field represent an intentional plan to set aside money to be able to help others. And at the Disciple Center, we've kind of guesstimated that that probably works out to about 5% of of our uh, income each year. Then there's a participation offering Paul talks about where those who use their own funds, not their tithe, not their tzedakah but their own funds, things that they could do for themselves, and they use that to participate in another person's ministry, will share in the reward and or the judgment that that person receives. We have to be careful with that, that we're helping those who are helping and not helping those who are hurting. But that lays up treasures in heaven. um, And that's established... Uh, in the scriptures, and we at the Disciple Center encourage participation in tested and proven ministries within Judaism and Christianity. Now there's a part we haven't generally spoke about, and I'm going to do more of that in the next series when we talk about the Havara. Um, That's the opening of someone's home for a Bible study or a Havara meeting, having people over to your house for a Holy Day celebration like a Seder, Making use of your pool for baptisms or fellowships in your home as resource stewardship. This is part of that process. Not everybody has the ability to do that. Some of us have the ability to do that. That's also something we need to include in our stewardship and management of these things. So that resources is something that we manage as a steward to the Lord. Gifting. The same idea. Gifting is found in our natural abilities that we have and the spiritual manifestations that God provides within the community of faith. In addition, the role gifts that I talked about, pastor, deacon, specialized ministries, are to be used for the benefit of the community uh, and the body of Messiah and the people of God's creation, that is, all people. So what is a creation gift? I call that a natural gifting that's given all of our abilities, Music, art, speech, teaching, uh, people who have a knack for repairing things, or problem solving. Some people have cooking skills and other kinds of human activities. All of these are a gift of God and can be used as a stewardship in that in that kind of context. And we should use these gifts to help one another. Um, because the biblical statements about the gifts of helping and hospitality are important gifts. And we'll see this even more as we begin to talk about establishing the Havarot. The spiritual gifts are not ongoing. They come sporadically. From time to time, as needed by God's people and as required by God's eternal purpose, the Spirit of God will manifest Himself as present within and among us by gifts of knowledge, healings, discerning of spirits, Tongues, prophecy, a number of things that the scripture talks about. These remind us that God is with us and that he is for us. And they give testimony to his faithfulness to his people. Now, man, I'm getting done early. Maybe we have a long Q&A, right? Let me say one thing about gifting. You don't discover your gifting on your own. You will discover your gifting as you do things and people recognize them. So it will be others who will say, gee, you've got the gift of hospitality. It's not going to be you. That's that, I have the gift of hospitality, do what I say. It's when people go, wow, you're so hospitable. Am I? Because those gifts don't wear you out when you're doing them. What you do, because you have the ability, you are able to do. You don't have to fret about it, worry about it, and strive about it, and all of that. No tree uh, struggles to produce fruit. Now, if you're an orange tree and you're producing apples, I suspect that takes some stress. Okay, But the natural gifting that we have, and the spiritual gifting that we have is the way we have been made and therefore should be natural and seen by others. So the community of faith will often recognize your gifting when you won't see it yourself. And often you will see a gift that really you want, but it may not be your gift. So I want to uh, come back now to Romans chapter 12, that passage that we began with. And I want us to look specifically at... uh, six through uh, eight again. Because the way the text reads, sometimes uh, people just go past it and don't catch the idea. It's said that we have a measure of faith. We have a level of maturity that we are given. And so he says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy According to the proportion of his faith. Faith is a trust in God's word. A knowledge of God's word. A doing of God's word. That manifests itself. And therefore it's at the level of our maturity that we do this. In service. In his serving. In teaching. In his teaching. In the one who exhorts. In exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. This notion is that these things will operate not at a level that stresses us, but a level that our faith maturity allows us to do willingly and openly and humbly in that context. So we are to use the gifts and the resources based on the level of our faith maturity. That requires humility before each other, a gratitude to God that understands that it is more blessed to give than to receive. When I was growing up, my family was... My dad was ill, my mom was ill. Um, We were were living kind of hand-to-mouth, and sometimes not even hand-to-mouth. And my first experience with church people, because we weren't church people, was that around Christmas, people would bring stuff to our house people would leave a box of clothes on the porch. And we were glad to get that, although sometimes I wondered what that was, right? Uh, But I'll tell you something. As relieved and as pleased as I was to receive that stuff, there is nothing compared to somebody who has a need and you're able to meet that. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And those of us who have lived on both sides of that fence know exactly that if you have a choice, you want to be the giver, not the receiver. But givers who think that they own what they have, they deserve what they have, are less likely to give and to share with others because of that haughty attitude. And so we have to watch out for that. Maturity and priorities are part of this. So what are the priorities? Well, one last verse. Matthew chapter 6. And you remember in all the spiritual disciplines we went back to Matthew chapter 6 because that's what Jesus tells us how to pray It how to fast when we're doing uh, benevolence and all of those things. When we get to uh, chapter Six, verse 25, Jesus says, well in verse 24, let's get that because that's important. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or will, he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot be focused on wealth and and security and, well, i got to get myself together and then help others because you'll never get there. That God will take all of your control because the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, that love of money, that devotion to it becomes the root of all evil. So Jesus says, for this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink nor your bo- for your body what you shall put on. Is life m- not more than food, and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, they do not reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worthy, uh, worth much more than they? And which of you who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? You can actually reduce it. Right? Uh, and why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Um, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory uh, clothed himself, didn't clothe himself like one of these. Uh, probably most of us have more clothes in our closet, even the ones that we can fit in, than we need to, to wear, right? So we're not, we're not really hurting here. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace... Will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Now I translate little faith as short-sighted ones. Only seeing what we're worried about. And not seeing eternal perspective. Do not worry then. Saying what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear for clothing? All the nations of the world. Eagerly seek these things. And your heavenly father knows you need all these things. But seek first. He's not saying... Don't this stuff won't happen. He's saying, seek first. This is the priority, his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, and that verse ought to be on our walls, because many of us know that every day there seems to be something else to deal with. Right? Uh, we just pick out those good things when we can because life is tough and then you die, right? So uh, this focus of eternal perspective, setting priorities, maintaining a humility will actually make life more pleasant than worrying about everything and stewing about everything and coming apart about everything uh, which we are are prone to do. So we're not to give leftovers to God and the community of faith. We are to maintain com- kingdom priorities so that we may become faithful stewards of our time, our season of life, our resources, the things we possess, our gifting, both natural and spiritual, to minister good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and in will we- do a Q&A.